Ephesians chapter 6 this morning, as was read just a moment ago. We have spent our summer studying spiritual warfare and the armor of God as detailed in Ephesians 6. And this morning, we will be looking at verses 18 through 20 and the power of prayer in the battle. We will finish this summer series over the next couple of weeks by looking at some Bible case studies of spiritual warfare. But this morning, Ephesians 6 verses 18 through 20. The Apostle Paul's relationship with the Ephesians began at the end of his second missionary journey in AD 53 and then continued for more than two years on his third missionary journey in AD 54 and 55 when Paul went into the synagogue in Ephesus and reasoned with them to persuade them concerning the things of the kingdom of God. You can read about it in Acts chapters 18 and 19. It was a year later, in AD 56, that Paul met up with the Ephesian elders in the port city of Miletus and exhorted them to shepherd the church of God and protect it from savage wolves, which were sure to come in among them, not sparing the flock. And it was then and there that the Ephesian elders shared a tearful farewell with Paul, knowing that they would never see Paul again. You can read about it in Acts chapter 20. It was then five years later, even yet, in AD 61, when Paul was imprisoned. He was imprisoned and he took the occasion to write a letter back to his old friends in the city of Ephesus, to the Ephesians, one of four different prison epistles that the Apostle Paul would would write. In this case, he sent this letter to the Ephesians by the hand of Tychicus, you see there in Ephesians 6, verse 21. But although Paul had a a meaningful relationship with the Ephesian church, uh, spending a total of three years with them in, in person, the book of Ephesians is not a personal letter like those addressed to Timothy or or Titus, or Philemon. Rather, the book of Ephesians is a public letter addressed to a group of people, to the church in Ephesus, to those who are in Ephesus, chapter 1, verse number 1. One could even say that the book of Ephesians is an open letter. It was a letter that would then be circulated as in the letter to the Colossians among all of the churches in that region. But while the book of Ephesians is not a personal letter, neither is the book of Ephesians a problem letter, like Paul's letter to the Corinthians or the Galatians, which were full of rebukes. Ephesians is a positional letter. It's a practical letter in that Paul addressed the believer's position in Christ in chapters 1 through 3, and then their practice as Christians in chapters 4 through 6. In fact, I've copied a chart for you there on the back of your notes something that uh, given to us by Chuck Swindoll, very, very helpful. And I give this to you to, as, a, as a resource for further study, future study, and just to keep us mindful of the larger context of our study this summer. I point your attention specifically to the upper right corner of that table where you read the title, Our Practice on Earth. I've highlighted it for you there on the screen. Our Practice on Earth, it summarizes chapters four through six. Then if you look below that to section three, it is titled, Our New Strength. And there you notice the reference that's given is Ephesians chapter six, verses, are you ready? Verses 10 through 20 our primary text of study so far this summer. In Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20, we are called and commanded to stand in the battle against the wicked one, Satan, the devil. That is our practice here on earth 
In fact, four times the command is repeated in these verses to stand, to stand, to stand, to stand. However, we cannot stand in our own strength. Rather, we must be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, verse number 10. That is our new strength, as Chuck Swindoll is titling it here in this, ch- this chart. And folks, there is nothing more discouraging in your Christian life. There's nothing more disillusioning in your Christian walk, nothing more demoralizing than trying to combat the wicked one in our own strength. Folks, it cannot be done because Satan is stronger than you. And if you fight against the wicked one in your own strength, you will always lose. He will devour you like a lion, is how the apostle Peter describes it. There's really no better illustration than that. The the lion, he's a roaring lion, lion seeking whom he may devour. And and of course, that's the quintessential symbol of of aggressive strength. Whether it's National Geographic or Animal Planet or the Discovery Channel or even YouTube, all of these have given us the images of the lion chasing his prey, overpowering his catch before tearing apart the flesh and eating his kill for lunch. For that reason, there's no lions at a petting zoo, you see. Satan is a roaring lion. He is stronger than you. He is faster than you. He is smarter than you. And so for that reason, twice now, in this larger context, the book of Ephesians, this open letter, the apostle Paul prayed for the believers to be strengthened with power. In fact, let's make the effort. Turn back to chapter 1, verse number 15. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 15. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Look at verse 18. That the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of of the glory of his inheritance and the saints, what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power, above these, these forces and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but in that which is to come. Paul prayed for the Ephesians to be strengthened with resurrection power. Turn the page now again to chapter 3. Paul's going to pray a second time for the Ephesians in chapter 3, verse number 14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Lord, I'm sorry, to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love, you might be able to stand. Look at verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that works in us. You see, while Satan, the devil, the wicked one, that roaring lion is stronger than we are, he is not stronger than the power of God for greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. 
And the resurrection power of Jesus Christ is sufficient to defeat the world, the flesh, and the devil so that if you are in Christ, you can have victory in the Christian life, standing against the wiles or the schemes or the methods or the fiery darts of the wicked one. And so spiritual warfare is won because of our position in Christ and the power that we have in him. This morning, power through prayer. It's an extended introduction, but allow me to to pause briefly, ask for the Lord's blessing on our study now. God in heaven, we confess that we are weak. We need your strength. We can only be strong in the power of your might, and so we pray that your Holy Spirit will strengthen us. He who is dwelling within us to give us the strength to be an overcomer. God, I pray this morning that you would illumine the scripture text to us as we study so that we might find the the supply line and the, the resources and the power for living the victorious Christian life. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The night in which Jesus was betrayed, you recall he enjoyed that last final Passover meal with his disciples, and then they went out from that place of the upper room across the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives, and there in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus told his disciples to watch and pray. And Jesus called upon them to watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So insightful, of course. Now look at Ephesians 6, verse number 18. Ephesians 6, verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful. You see, Paul is teaching us to do the very same thing, to watch and pray, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And the proposition and the premise of my message for you this morning is printed there at the top of your notes that prayer is the supply line and it is the source of strength for the Christian in spiritual warfare. Prayer is the supply line and source of strength for us in spiritual warfare. Let me illustrate this idea in this way. Historians have maintained that one of the reasons the American Revolutionary War was won by the colonists was because they were able to maintain a better supply chain than the British. And according to a source that I read this week, the position of quartermaster general was created the day after George Washington became the commander of the Continental Army in June of 1775. And he tasked the quartermaster general with the responsibility of acquiring provisions and distributing those provisions to the troops. In fact, one historian has claimed that the battle was fought and decided by the quartermasters before the shooting began. So follow this now. We know that the British had a larger army and a better trained army than the American colonists during the Revolutionary War. However, the British had to transport their soldiers across the Atlantic Ocean. The British had to transport all of their provisions, their supplies, their munitions across the Atlantic Ocean, and consequently, it was difficult for them to always be supplied and to always have the strength to to fight the colonists. They had a difficult time accessing or accessing their supplies, their money and their equipment and their food, and often the, the Continental Army cut off that British resupply. 
Similarly, or conversely, we know that one of the gravest seasons for the American troops was the winter spent at Valley Forge. And those of you that are familiar with this history, you, you know that the the, the colonists and the, the Continental Army suffered at Valley Forge because they lacked supplies. They were weakened by it and so many died. And evidently it was in part a broken supply line that led to the Battle of Yorktown, the surrender of Cornwallis's army, and the ultimate defeat of the British forces in America. You see, no one can stand and fight if you're starving to death. No one can stand and fight if you lack strength to stand and fight. It was years later when Napoleon Bonaparte was conquering most of Europe that he would famously declare that an army marches on its stomach and that he lost more soldiers because of spoiled food than from the battle itself. And so Ephesians 6 verse 18 is... is, presenting us with the supply line, the supply chain, with the source of strength that the Christian soldier needs to stand, and it is prayer. I submit to you this morning that prayer is not another piece of the armor. It's not another weapon, but it's the necessary activity that supplies the power behind the, the weapons that we've already been given. So let's look at the text and allow me to explain some of the grammar and the syntax of of verse number 18. You see the word praying there at the beginning of verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. The, The word praying there is not a finite verb, but rather it's a participle dependent upon a preceding verb. That is, there is no command in verse 18 to pray. Rather, praying is a way in which we obey a previous command. Okay? What were the previous verbal imperatives or commands? First, the word praying in verse 18 could point all the way back to the command in verse 14. The command to stand. Therefore, we could understand this to say this. Verse 18 Verse 14, verse 18, stand by praying. Stand, verse 14, by praying in verse 18. That would make praying in verse 18 grammatically parallel with all the other participles in verses 14 through 16 that explain how we must stand. Stand, verse 14, by girding your waist with truth, by putting on the breastplate of righteousness, by shodding or shoeing your feet with the gospel of peace, by taking up the shield of faith, by praying, All of those participles modify the verbal imperative or the command to stand in verse 14. How do we stand? In these ways, by doing these things. Furthermore, the word praying in verse 18, look there again, could point back to the command in verse 17. The command to take the helmet of salvation and to take the sword of the Spirit. How do we do those things in verse 17? By praying in verse 18. So in every case, we employ the armor of God by praying. You see, praying isn't a piece of armor itself. It's not a weapon like the other weapons that are listed or pieces of armor that are listed. It's what empowers us to use those weapons or to wear that armor that's been identified in this, in this passage. Power through prayer. And so I submit this outline to you. Number one, the the exhortation to pray. We We find the power to stand 
and the power to, to use our armor by praying, consider first the frequency. The frequency is always, verse 18, praying always. Now, the Orthodox Jews pray three times a day. That was a practice of the patriarchs in the Old Testament of Ezra the scribe of King David who said, evening and morning and noon will I pray. Of course, we know that Daniel also prayed three times a day. Uh, Muslims offer up prayers five times a day. It's the second pillar of Islam. But Jesus taught his disciples to pray always. The Bible says that the early Christians in Jerusalem devoted themselves continually to prayer. Then Paul charged the Thessalonians to pray without ceasing. But, but how does that work? How is that done? Do we have to bow our heads? Do we have to close our eyes? Do we have to fold our hands and kneel in a posture of prayer? No. Praying always, the frequency of our prayer, is, is simply the idea of regular and consistent pray, prayer. We don't just pray over our meals at mealtime. We don't only pray in the public assembly on a, on a Sunday, but we live and breathe prayer. So folks, the frequency of prayer is, is always. Uh, the form of prayer, the forms of prayer are prayer and supplication. There in verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication. Those are two different terms in verse 18, translated prayer and supplication in my New King James Version, or prayer and petition, I think, and the New American Standard. These are the same terms that Paul used in Philippians 4, verse 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, these two terms. I think the first speaks of general prayer, the second speaks of specific requests. I think Paul's trying to cover the spectrum here of one extreme to another. It's as if he's saying, it doesn't matter how you pray. Just pray in every way, generally or specifically. Pray while you're standing, pray while you're sitting, pray while you're driving, pray while you're working, pray with your head bowed and your eyes closed or your head up and your eyes wide open. It doesn't matter. Just pray. Furthermore, I think the the terms prayer and supplication, I think supplication intensifies or petition intensifies the, the, the idea. There's passion and there's fervency and there's desperation to our prayer. So verse 18 says, pray always with all prayer and supplication and, and folks, we don't need the forms of our prayer, that's letter B, to frustrate the frequency of our prayer. Verse 18 is, say, is saying, pray always. Pray in all kinds of ways, especially, due to the context here, especially when you're on the front lines in battle. Pray. Because prayer is the supply line and the strength for your spiritual warfare. God, help me now. Strengthen me now. Lord, I'm overwhelmed by Satan's attacks and I fear I will fail. Every side is caving in on me. It's a difficult day, Lord. The temptation is great. Empower me to love you more than my sin in this moment. Enable me to obey. Do you you see what's happening here? It's just like an ongoing ramble of desperate prayer and supplication to the Lord. Lord, as I take up the spiritual armor, as I'm in the fight, We pray always, the frequency, with prayer and supplication, the forms. How about this? This is important. The filling. 
Verse 18 says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirits. What does that mean? It does not mean that we pray in some esoteric metaphysical way. It does not describe the contemplative meditation or mystical communication. It does not refer to an unidentifiable language. Praying in the Spirit is praying consistent with the will and in concert with and submission to the the will of the Spirit. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us, okay? How do we know the Spirit's will? How do we pray in the Spirit? Well, we know the Spirit's will because we know the Spirit's words. What are the Spirit's words? Well, it's, of course, the Holy Scripture. We call it the Word of God, the Word of the Spirit. We talked about that last week. Colossians 3.16 calls it the Word of Christ. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And so as we know God's word, we discern God's will, and we pray accordingly. That's how Jesus prayed. Not my will, but yours be done. You say, well, pastor, God's word doesn't tell us everything about God's will. In fact, maybe this last week in your small groups, your home Bible fellowships, you discussed the sufficiency of God's word. It's, it's not exhaustive, but it's comprehensive. What it, but what if we don't know what it says? Or what if it doesn't address our need? And and you've been there. And and you've been desperate not knowing what to do and where to go and how to survive your circumstances. And you've been frustrated in the battle. And and, and all you can do is cry out for help and say, God, I, I don't even know how I ought to pray right now, but I'm in a bad place. Romans 6, 26 and 27, maybe jot this reference in the margin there. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. As we walk in the Spirit and we are filled with the Spirit and we submit ourselves to the Spirit, we can pray in the Spirit because our will will be in harmony with His will and we will find the strength to stand. The Apostle Jude wrote that we should build ourselves up, think, be strengthened by praying in the Holy Spirit. Spirit, the filling. There's more in Ephesians 6.18. We must be watchful. You see verse 18, being watchful, alert in our prayer with perseverance. I'm going to call this the fervency. The fervency with perseverance. Jesus told two parables that teach us about the fervency of of prayer. And again, you might just jot these in the margin. In Luke 11, it was the story of one who continually knocked on his friend's door at midnight, the the parable of the midnight visitor who had the audacity and the, the boldness and the persistence to interrupt his friend's sleep at midnight and, and continue to knock until the door was answered. There's another parable Jesus taught in Luke 18, the parable of the unjust judge. It was the story of a widow who persisted in nagging a judge for vindication in in her case, and she persisted in seeking justice until the judge finally responded to her, 
proper appeal. And so I call this the, the fervency with perseverance. And folks, I don't want to create a guilt trip on us this morning, but, but we ought to be convicted at this point. You see, often we throw out a brief prayer, yeah, Lord, you know, help me out. And then we walk away and we wonder why we feel impotent or powerless in spiritual warfare. And perhaps we can't point to answers to prayer in in our lives because we haven't labored in prayer for answers and, and we're too quick to concede a matter as lost because we didn't get an immediate answer. But perhaps the Lord would have us to persevere in desperation and in perseverance. Because folks, we're at war. Hello? We're at war. So we're driven to our knees and we fall on our face and we plead with God for deliverance. This is the exhortation to pray. How are we to stand? How are we to put on or take up the armor of God? By praying always. Verse 18. With all prayer and supplication, in the spirits, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication. Of course, Jesus' disciples there at the Garden of Gethsemane, they fell asleep. They couldn't even stay awake to pray. Number two, examples of prayer. Examples of prayer. If prayer is the supply line, if prayer is the source of strength for the Christian and spiritual warfare, then we need to pray for one another so that we can all stand. You see that at the end of verse number 18? For all the saints. And Paul has already modeled this in his prayers. We read in chapter 1 and in chapter 3 earlier, it's Paul, Paul's prayer for others. If you need those references, it's chapter 1, verses 15 through 21. It's chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Those are Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. Paul's, the prayers of Paul for, for others. We need to pray for one another. One of the great blessings in my life as a pastor is when you tell me that you're praying for me. Um, I often feel that there is a target on my chest or on my back that, that I am targeted by the wicked one. And your prayer for me is part of the spiritual warfare that I endure. I need to pray for you um, Every Monday morning, the pastors gather together, we, we call it our staff meeting, and we begin our staff meetings with praying for the membership at Fourth Baptist Church. And we pray for you alphabetically, and then we pray for other specific needs, needs that we're aware of, and we pray for you. We need to pray for one another. And that's Paul's example for um, the, the Ephesians. But then also, look at verses 19 and 20 now. He says, and for me, that utterance may be given to me that I may, know, that I may open my, my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So it's not just prayer of Paul for others, it's the prayer of others for Paul, you see. You see, it's a reciprocal thing. 
It's pastor and people, people and pastor. It's apostle and people, people and apostle in, in, in this case. And think of the spiritual warfare that Satan was waging against Paul as he was imprisoned. He's, he's incarcerated, awaiting an audience before the emperor Nero. And I assure you that Satan assaulted Paul with doubt and discouragement, with anger and resentment, and perhaps Paul was fighting temptation maybe to lie or to compromise or even deny the Christ who had saved him. So Paul is pleading with the Ephesians, pray for me to have boldness. You see it there? Verses 19 and 20. Paul's need for boldness wasn't about his personal defense or his human suffering, but it was so that he could give the gospel. And we know this is the case because of what's recorded for us in the book of Acts. In Acts 28, Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house. This was when he was under house arrest and received all who came to him. He couldn't go out. They could come to him preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with confidence. And then there's another letter that the Apostle Paul wrote shortly after this letter to the Ephesians. It's in fact just a page away. If you turn the page to Philippians chapter 1, Philippians 1 verses 12 through 14, Paul says, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it became evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Amazing. Paul says, pray for me, but don't just pray that, that I will have escape from my trial, from my tribulation, from my trouble. Pray that I am strengthened with boldness to be salt and light, to be a witness to give testimony to Jesus Christ. I don't know that I've ever prayed that way. I've always prayed, Lord, get me out of this situation. Relieve me of this stress. Take away this temptation. Lord, give me boldness to be a witness for Christ. John MacArthur observes that Ephesians begins by lifting us up to the heavenlies. Read chapters one through three. It lifts us up to the heavenlies, our position in Christ. But then Ephesians ends by pulling us down to our knees in prayer. But that isn't just an observation. It is, in fact, the genius of this letter to the Ephesians. Because of our position in Christ, Raised with Christ, we can go boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you for our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who stands before your throne, always making intercession for us. God in heaven, thank you for the Spirit of God who translates or interprets our unintelligible groanings. Lord, for the strength that we have in him as he he intercedes for us. God, this morning I pray for the men and the women of Fourth Baptist Church that you would strengthen us in the inner man by your spirit with resurrection power.
so that when we call on the name of the Lord, casting our cares upon you, we know that you care for us and that you will provide a way of escape. I pray that you would strengthen each believer this morning, that we may stand in the evil day. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.